We're going to be starting a, a summer, today's the first day of our summer series on the gospel. Um, last year, as I was talking to students, one of the things that uh, I, would, I, would, I would ask some people is, what, what are some ways as a Christian that you wish you were better equipped? And so many times people came back to me, you know, I wish I knew the gospel better so that I could share my faith. Like, I wish that I, could, I knew Scripture more so that when I talked to people, I'd know what to say. And it's, the problem is kind of twofold. If you're a Christian, you should know how to share your faith. I mean, even the basic gospel, you should, you should understand that. The other part is that a lot of times we need to live according to the gospel and repent of our fear. We, we fear the wrong things. We fear man when we should be fearing God. And we, it, it, it should freak us out that we are more scared of what men would think of us in our pathetic little words and conversations at work or wherever than we would be scared of standing up and giving testimony of what the Lord has done in our life. But, so this summer... What we're going to be doing is we're going to be, I don't want to call it like, it, it's not training, but it will be training. It's not like you're coming here to a class to be equipped, but it will be equipping. I'm hoping that this will be a good time of meditation on who God is through his word and who you are, who Christ is and what that means. Um, so we're going, to start, we're going to start with the very beginning, the most fundamental thing of the gospel today. Um, what is the most, I'll just put it this way. This is the most scariest, frightful sentence that I can think of. There is nothing else that I can think of that makes me Shudder. This is what it is. God is holy. We're going to leave that up there. And throughout the evening, we're going to be putting some scriptures underneath that. Do you think about the character of God much? Like, do you think about who God is? One of the most wonderful things as a Christian is that God says, you can call me, call me Father, Abba, Father. And we claim to know him, and his, one of his chief attributes is that he is holy. Do you know what that means? Do you have any idea what it means that God is holy? And I'll be right up front. Like, I'm kind of, I feel somewhat inadequate to teach on this. Like, it would be me teaching on, I don't know, statistics or something. Like, I'm inadequate to talk a lot about God's holiness. Because we could spend, frankly, there are angels who spend eternity declaring this from the book of Isaiah to the book of Revelations. 
They've got one message on their lips, and they have not exhausted it yet. We're not going to cover it tonight. Um, there's a fellow, a German philosopher, whose name is Rudolf, Rudolf Otto, and he did a, a series or a book on the holiness of God. And he looked at all of these different cultures. And um, he, called, he called this feeling that man gets the numinous dread. If I told you, and C.S. this is C.S. Lewis's way of explaining it. He said, if, if I told you there was a tiger in the next room, the door's closed and all, but if, if there was a tiger in the next room, how would you feel? You would think, oh, a tiger could rip me apart. Man-eater. Like, there's a fear there. You know what it's like because you've seen movies and read books and you've heard of tigers. But what if I told you that there was a ghost in the next room? Seriously. Behind that door right there, there's a spirit. Wouldn't that take your feeling to a different level? Because you have no idea. You've never encountered something like this. It, wouldn't, it would be a different type of fear than if there was a tiger. Because you know what a tiger is like. You've seen pictures. But something that is altogether different. In every culture, it's strange to me, in just about every culture, there is a, a, some sort of um, sacrifice that man tries to make in order to be right with God. Do you ever wonder why that is? Like, there's this idea that I've got to do something to appease God. I don't know what to do. I'll carve a stick. I'll kill an animal. I'll do something. But there's this feeling, this, I've got to do something to appease God. Um, why is that? I think, I've been thinking about, I was digging post holes with some guys the other day, and I was thinking about this. And uh, I think it's because, and, and as you get older, or you encounter a disease, or you encounter something that has to do with death, you realize that you are mortal. You are going to expire. Someday, and, and it's hard when, like when you're young, you just don't think of that, unless you have cancer. And you're, when you're young, you don't think about that, unless you're in the dugout, and you think you might get shot. And then you get this feeling Wait a second, this is, this is going to end. It's happened every time to every single person. It's going to end. And what will I encounter? Um, I think, and I, I wonder if God has placed that fear inside man because he wants you to know that you are altogether different from God. Um, there's a verse, and God clearly illustrates this throughout Scripture. He talks much of 1 Timothy 6.16, who alone has immortality. He doesn't expire. He is the everlasting one. He is the beginning and the end. He does not end. He does not grow tired. And there's this feeling of dread like I 
am not like that at all. And, and that is the feeling that we run into when we study in Scripture and we see that God is holy. That should make you shudder because you are not. And we don't get holiness. For, for example, did you ever think about this? Eve took one apple. That's all. She took one apple and gave it to her husband. And from then on, sin has... And one apple. Really? Do you know why, do you know why that sounds funny? It's because you don't get it. You don't get God. Think about this. Lot's wife. You know what she took? One look. That's it. And God turned her into a pillar of salt and killed her. One look. You know why that bothers you? Because you don't get it. You do not get God. Some other examples. Nadab and Abihu, two priests, they took one experiment. They offered strange fire before the Lord. God says, this is how you were to approach me. And they thought they'd cook up something special. I don't know what it was. It just says strange fire. And God sent lightning, fire down from heaven, and it killed them. You know why that bothers you? Because we don't get His holiness. Uzziah the Kohathite. Remember Uzziah the Kohathite? One touch. He was trying to help God out. Do you remember what he did? He's riding on a cart down the road. In the back of his, in the bed of his cart was the Ark of the Covenant. First mistake. This is Second Samuel chapter six. Second, the first mistake is that it was not to be carried in a cart. It was to be carried on the priest's shoulders. But they had this great idea that they got from 1 Samuel chapter 6 that the Philistines had carried the cart in a new, they carried the ark in a new cart. David said, bring the cart in. And they put it on this cart. And as they're going bumping down the road, one guy's driving, Uzziah's sitting in the passenger seat. Carts, the, I think one of the oxen stumble. The, cart, the, the ark wobbles, and Uzziah has this idea. We cannot let the holy ark of God fall. And he touches it, and God killed him. See, Uzziah thought that his hand was better than the dirt. God says, no. What are you doing touching my ark that I told you not to touch? And he killed him. You know why that bothers you? Because we don't get God's holiness. This morning I was at McDonald's reading Exodus 24, I think, when the golden calf, Moses comes down and he sees what's going on. Do you remember what happens? He says, what? <laughs> who's with me? Who's with the Lord? And the Levites say, we are. And Moses says, okay, men, put on your swords. Go through the camp, kill your brother, kill your, kill your neighbor. And thousands died that day. That bothers me. Thinking, imagining being a Levite and with tears in my eyes going through camp and whacking people that I loved. Thinking, really, God, you're this? 
He's holy. Think about that. In, in, in our humanness, we're like, who does God think? He's holy. And we don't get it. And we look at, we go to Scripture, and we read verses about holiness, and we just kind of skim them over. We need to take some time and say, what is holiness, God? Because it's a big deal. Um, if you were to give me some examples of what holy is, think in your head of the holiest thing you can think of, and you can't use God or Jesus or the Bible. Give me some examples. Give me five examples. What's, what's your best illustration for holiness? Give me four examples. Huh? Sovereign. Can you show me a sovereign? Oh, some, give me a, a something that is holy. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to sound smart. The point is, though, that you got nothing. There is nothing that you know of that is holy. Nothing. Um, I was reading a quote from, if you guys want to do a study on this, uh, A.W. Tozer writes a book called Knowledge of the Holy. And there's a chapter, you read the whole thing, but they're, they're very short. <laughs> but there's one chapter on holiness that is so good. I would re- like to read um, one thing from it. It expresses kind of where we stand tonight. Neither the writer nor the reader is qualified to appreciate the holiness of God. Quite literally, a new channel must be cut through the desert of the mind to allow the sweet water of truth that will heal our great sickness to flow in. We cannot grasp the true meaning of the divine holiness by thinking of someone or something very pure and then raising it to the concept to the highest degree we are capable of. Like you can't say like, my mom, she's pretty good. What about my mom, 10,000? Don't work. It doesn't work. God's holiness is not simply the best we know, infinitely better, bettered. We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart. It is unique. It is unapproachable. It is incomprehensible and unattainable. The natural mind is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness cannot even or ever be imagined. It's like the word holy has a couple different meanings to it. It means to cut and separate. It's separate. The word holy, we get our word halig from whole. It is complete, healthy, completely healthy. It is completely set apart and it is completely healthy. Um, God is a good illustrator. When I think of uh, like why, why God created things, and I, I see everything as a means to an end of something of God, something of the Lord, something that shows me something of Him. Um, he gives the illustration. Adam, could you... Ready? Not yet. Oh. Could you turn off the, uh, the gospel sign? Thank you. This illustration has stuck with me, and I think it is the only illustration, because it is from God, that even touches what it means for God to be holy. 1 John 1.5 says, 
This is the message we heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Turn off the light for a second. Even in this dark room, like it's hard to keep light out. But there is a lot of darkness in this room. Turn the light on for a second. Where's all the darkness go? It is impossible for you to have a ball of darkness right here. It's impossible for you to have. I mean, we could put darkness where the light is not in that closet or something, but as soon as you open the door and the light came in, the darkness is gone. In the character of God, in holiness, there is not one iota, smidgen, bit of darkness. Not one. Like in this room, look around. It's exposed. Do you know what I am? Turn the light off. I'm dark. Read the Ten Commandments. I've broken them all. Turn the light back on. God is light. In Him there's no darkness at all. He is holy. Think about that when you go to bed at night and you turn the switch off. That's me, that's God. That's me, that's God. 1 Timothy 6, 16, who alone has immortality, and he dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be glory and everlasting power. John 1, 5, the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehends it not. Do you realize, like the Bible says, that no man has ever seen God? If we were exposed to, if God would pull back the curtains of heaven and expose his holiness, you would utterly be disintegrated. I can prove it. Turn the light off. If God were to pull back the curtains of heaven and reveal his holiness, turn the light on, you could not exist. You could not exist. Does that make sense? That is the only illustration that I can think of that that this dumb mind comprehends who I am and who God is and what would happen. I mean, think of Moses. What a bold statement. God, can I see your face? Um, Let's keep going down here. I want to leave room for small group study this evening, so I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to try to, by, by Scripture, look at uh, how holiness is defined in the Bible. God's holiness is transcendent. Transcendent means it climbs. It surpasses. It's nothing and there's none like the Lord. The first verse could someone read for me Exodus fifteen eleven? If you got it, just read it out loud. Someone get ready for me, First Samuel two two. Read it.
the answer is, who is no one? Does anyone have First Samuel two two? No one is holy like the Lord. There's, there's, none, there's no companions to God. Like it's God and God alone, and there's no one that is buddy-buddy like he's kind of holy. Nope. No one holy like the Lord. He's transcendent. He climbs above. The other quality is his moral quality. God is altogether separate from sin. Just like our light-dark illustration he is separate. When there is darkness, there is darkness. But when God comes in and makes his presence known, the darkness flees. He is separate. And there, there's nothing evil in God. There's nothing dark in God at all. Psalms 5.4 says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. Let me write that down. Job 34.10. Job 34.10 says, Far be it from God to do wickedness and from the Almighty to commit iniquity. Isaiah 59.1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you. Habakkuk 1.13 says, You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. James 1.13 says, For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does, he tempt, nor does he himself tempt anyone. James 1.17 says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. 1 John 1.5 says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God's holiness cannot be corrupted. Like It's not like you have a good day and you have a bad day, and you're like, oh man, yesterday was a really holy day, but today kind of messed up. Like God, God cannot be corrupted. Let me, I, wanna, I don't want to hide problem verses from you, so I want to throw this one out there, because this, bo- this verse bothers me. Genesis 3.22, right after the fall. Behold, the man is like one of us to know good and evil. What does that mean? That word know, it means to be intimately acquainted. Behold, the man is like one of us to know good or evil and evil. Wait a second, God. We just talked about that you cannot be corrupted and that you, you, you're, you're pure. So what's going on there? Here's the difference between God and us. God cannot become overcome by evil, for he is light. Darkness cannot overcome light. You turn the light on, Darkness flees. That is who God is. Darkness has no power over light. Sin has no power over God. He is sovereign. Man, on the other hand, Genesis came. We became intimately acquainted. 
with evil. And we cannot do anything but be overcome by evil. You know what we do? We trade evil for evil. We trade darkness for darkness. And we take this darkness and we go, well, I don't like this darkness, so I'm going to take this darkness because this looks like better darkness. And see, our, see our, our, our righteousness is as filthy rags. We are totally overcome. Like, just when you think you're doing good, you're like, man, I didn't say that word all week. Man, I didn't yell at her all week. Now I'm wrestling with pride. Great. And that's how Satan fell. You see, we swap sins. But God doesn't, he, he cannot be overcome. He overcomes his light. Um, let's keep talking about, about God's holiness. I'd like to look in closing. I know I didn't write the verses down, but we have a lot of opportunities, things written down for you. Um, I'd like to look at holiness observed in Isaiah 6. Holiness is, it's separate. It's whole, healthy. It is transcendent. It is above. It, can, it is incorruptible. And what happens when man encounters it? Isaiah 6. There is a couple times in Scripture when men have encountered God and they've written pictures down and they've, drawn, or they've written their experience. Isaiah is one. This is probably the most famous one. And John, or the book of Revelations, 1 through 4. That's another good area. Isaiah wrote this, and if you read Isaiah 5, it really does set the stage for Isaiah 6. And it talks about how God planted a vineyard. And he intended for this vineyard to grow good things. And it didn't. It grew wild things. It was Israel. It sinned against him. And it names all the things that they did against the Lord. And then it comes to a certain part. It says, But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God who is holy shall be hallowed in righteousness. And he starts to, to talk about his people, and they need to see God as holy. Verse 16, And let the counsel of the Holy One draw near Israel and come, that they may know it. And then in chapter 6, the Holy One comes and He reveals Himself to Isaiah. And he wrote, this, he wrote this out so that we can know it. Chapter 6, we'll start in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord lifted on a throne, high and lifted up. The first thing he sees is he sees God on a throne. And it's not just any throne. It's a throne that is high and lifted up because... God is King of kings, He's Lord of lords, and He has sovereignly placed every president, every king, every governor in their place. And you know what He calls them to do? Read Psalms 2. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry with you. 
And those who don't, you know what they hear? Read Psalms 2, they hear laughing. As if you could stand against a holy God. But God is King of kings. He's Lord of lords. His throne is high and lifted up. It is above all other thrones. He brings leaders up and he takes leaders down. And that is happening right now, even during these elections that we're coming to. You think that God's sovereignty is not extended to, to the elections? You'd be foolish to think that. The next thing he says, and his robe or his train filled the temple. The train, if you think of like a, a wedding dress, and we don't think of men wearing trains as much as we do women wearing, wearing wedding dresses, but kings would wear a train. Um, I was looking at uh, some pictures of Princess Diana and um, what's the other? Queen Elizabeth before her. And uh, I think it was 1953, Queen Elizabeth was, was coronated. And she had, um, I forget, it was a crazy amount of diamonds in this crown she was wearing. And behind her flowed this red, uh, I think it was 21 feet long velvet robe. Don't quote me on that. But the idea was it was to show, here comes royalty. And there's actually six, ladies, you should know this, there are six different lengths of a train for a wedding dress. There's one that is like, it just, it's pretty, it's no train at all, really. But it just goes from your, your, the, the small of your back to the floor. And then there's another one that just, it's called a sweeping one, it just kind of sweeps. And then there's another one that's like a little bit longer, and it's like a, Certain type of chapel, chap. Did anybody know this? Oh, I thought. Sorry, the chapel one. And then there's another one, and then finally the sixth one is like royalty. And the example of royalty train is Elizabeth's and Diana. So Diana, when she was married, she. I'm not sure. I was wondering if she's trying to top, have a little longer train. But hers, I believe, is 24 feet long. It was, I want to say, 10,000 pearls was laced in there. It was so big that uh, Prince Charles could barely get in the coach with her. <laughs> it had, like, handles on it. Seriously. And uh, it was just, it was crazy big. Um, but when she came in, and there was a, one of the, the attendants who was 13 years old at the time was giving testimony of how beautiful it looked, but it was like a pain in the neck to maneuver and make it like spread out for her. And uh, the longer the train, the longer, the, the more glory. And Isaiah said that, and the train of the Lord, it filled the temple. Build the temple. It's pretty incredible. And above it, above it stood seraphim. I'd love to. I'd love to study above what, above the above, the throne or above the train. I wonder if they're attending to the train. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. 
With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Seraphim, like God is the creator. He can create anything he wants. He chose to create this particular being called Seraphim. And their job, their sole purpose, is to speak of God's glory. And God doesn't, like, he doesn't create things like, nah, I'll give them six wings. It's eh, different. Birds have two, we'll give these guys... Like, with two, they fly. With two, they cover their face. Think about that. Why do you think they got two wings? They're designed to be in the presence of God in His holiness. And God says, you guys are going to need two wings to cover your face. Because nobody just looks at me. You don't just look at a holy God. You think of Moses and God covered his face so that he couldn't see. And with the two other wings, they covered his feet. I'm not sure why, but there's something about our creatureness and our feet in the presence of a holy God. What did Moses, what did God tell Moses? Moses, take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. And these creatures, they have special wings just for their feet. And they cry, this is all they cry. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I mentioned this briefly earlier, but if you go over to Revelations 4, still crying that. They're still declaring. You know what that says to me? That when we think of holiness, it's inexhaustible. The glory of God is inexhaustible. Like if you have any idea when someday, and my, my son Rhett last night was asking me when we're going to heaven. That was, that was weird. Because he's like going to the grocery store, going to go fly home, see grandma and grandpa, we're going to heaven. He's like, when are we going to heaven, Dad? And I'm like, when the Lord calls us, Rhett, when the Lord calls us, and someday he will, and we get this idea, what will that be like? It will be inexhaustible. Like you will have the most exhilarating experience in the presence of a holy God, and the day after will make the day before seem like you, I don't, Incomparable. You know how many years are between Isaiah and Revelation? Look at that. Let's go to Revelations 4. You don't have to go there. Revelations 4. What are you guys doing? Are you tired yet? Holy, holy, holy. The Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. These creatures, that's what they do. They declare His glory. Um, There's a reason, and a lot of you may know this, why it says three times. It's called the the trihagion, the thrice holy. And in Jewish, a Jewish way, which is a godly way because God created everything, a way of repeating yourself is a way of Bringing importance to a statement. Do you remember what Jesus said? Verily, verily, I say unto you. He said it twice. And there's other times in Scripture. They would say, truly, truly, or amen, amen, which is, let it be done, let it be so. And Jesus would say it even before he said anything. Let it be done, and now I'm going to tell you what's to be done. Truly, truly, I say unto you. But nothing in all of Scripture, nothing is raised to holy Holy, holy. Nothing. Even as loving as God is, 
Nowhere in Scripture will you find love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty. You won't find that. Justice. It's just something about this character that rises, that, that transcends. Verse 5. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king. When Isaiah, catch this, when Isaiah realized who God was, that's when he realized who he was. And it wasn't the other way around. When Isaiah realized who God was, that's when Isaiah realized who he was. And in the words, I am undone, it could mean a couple things. It could mean I should just totally fall. My arms just and legs and appendages should just fall to the ground in a pile of flesh. Could mean that. It could mean that my mind is blown. I have become. I should become a madman. My thinking should not be able to process. Think of your mind as a dark thing. And then think of the lights turning on. That's what Isaiah was saying. It should not, I, I, how can this be? When Isaiah saw who God was, that's when he realized who he was. It is important that if we're going to understand the gospel for your own personal lives and for sharing your faith, that you meditate and you think about the character of God, that he is holy. Because if you don't, you will come up with another standard of holiness. And it will look like your neighbor, your roommate. And it will be nothing at all of what true holiness is. Um, this is what we do. Imagine if I had a glass of water here. And I went down to the toilet and I flushed it. It's pretty clean. I dipped it in. You'd look at it and it was clear. And I went up to... One of you gals, and I said, would you, I can't see anything in here. I mean, it looks pretty good. Would you drink it? What if you were thirsty? You saw something in there, maybe, but you were thirsty. (laughs) Would you drink it? No. But you see, that's what we do before the Lord all the time with our lives. We don't regard Him as holy. And we say, my life looks pretty good. Don't shake it up too much. Flushed it this morning. You know, and I'm going to hit myself right now. Surely the Lord wouldn't mind if I watched that. He wouldn't. Surely he wouldn't mind if I, he's not so holy that he wouldn't overlook what I just said, what I just thought. Would you drink of my life, Lord? Would you accept this? No way. See, when we don't understand God's holiness, you will not get the beauty of the cross. Because what you want something that God has. You know what it is? You want to know Him. You want immortality like He has. You want the end is coming and you're bankrupt. You got nothing in your pocket. You got nothing in your pocket that is worthy of God and you're offering Him poop water. You know? And that's when you see the cross, that's when you get it. 
So what we're going to do is we have, we have a good 20 minutes left. We're going to have a couple minutes of chaos. Um, our, our goal for you this summer is I would love for you to meditate on God's holiness this coming week as a little body across life. So what we're going to do is um, we're going to pull out some tables, and there's already some tables here. Don't move quite yet. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We've got Bibles. If you've got a Bible without concordances, we've got little mini concordances. And I'm going to give you a, a thick sheet of paper, and it's got two places for every study this summer. I'd like you to pick two verses on God's holiness. I'd like you to memorize them. Here's why. Not because we're going to come up with some sort of um, uh, a way to witness. Or a, we need to come up with some steps. We're not coming up with steps. We're going to have some verses and we're going to hide them in our hearts so that we may not sin against the Lord. We're going to think about God's holiness this week. And a lot of you, I know, your quiet times are like, flip open the Bible, pick this. You don't know what to do. We're going to study holiness together this week. And next week we're going to look at something else. So um, what I'd like you to do after I'm done praying is to pick up your chairs and to find a table. And there's, there's going to be ten tables and there's going to be a ping pong table. And uh, wait there for instructions. And if I could also challenge you to keep hold of this piece of paper, don't lose it for the whole summer. Put it on your refrigerator, fold it up, put it in your Bible, I don't care. But tr- like, really, you can do that. You're, you're, you're big people. But, uh, and, and if you forget and you don't bring it next week, we'll forgive you and ask you to come back the next week. <laughs> no, we'll get you another one. But I would, I would really challenge you to, to not just to make this a Tuesday night thing, but to really to impact your quiet time with the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're in your presence, and that was a really pathetic demonstration of who you are. And uh, I just praise you for your grace, Lord. And I realize that we are very inadequate. We're like little kids speaking of countries that we've never been. Lord, thank you for your word. Help, help the jewels that we find tonight be in your word and, and nothing else. And Lord, help us, to, to help us to remember. Help us to remember you. Help us to meditate on you, Lord. And um, Lord, if there's anyone here, would you convict hearts, Lord? Would your spirit convict hearts? It's no mystery, Lord, that we are sinners. That's no mystery at all, Lord. We know that. We need you, Lord. Amen.